Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, it's good to be back with you again. I'm trying to get out some regular podcasts. Uh, try and do it on a weekly basis. We'll see if that's able to continue. It's kind of hard. It takes a lot of time to put these podcasts out. Today, I've got one of my listeners as a guest, Tom Morley. He wrote an email to me saying, hey, you know what? I've got some questions. Let me ask you some questions on the podcast and sort of interview you. So I thought, well, that's not a bad idea. Let's see how it goes. If you've got questions, I like answering questions. I like getting email questions. So that's going to be an experiment today. Before we get to that, if you want to become a sailor, get out there and get on a boat. That's the first thing you need to do. But before you do that, you might want to learn the terminology of sailing. You can do that by buying books. You can go check them out at your library. That's free. You can also sign up for my email list. And in signing up for the email list, you will be able to download eight of the first 16 lessons for the Sailing Learn to Sail Lessons for the ASA 101 exam, which is the basic keelboat certification. In those first eight lessons, you're going to learn the terminology of sailing, the different parts on a boat, and some of the maneuvers involved in sailing, as well as I can do it in an audio course. And if you like that, then you can go and possibly buy the full audio course. And if you don't want to do that, I also have lessons for the ASA 103 which is the basic coastal cruising certification, and the ASA 104, which is the bareboat certification, which is what you need if you want to go and charter a boat and go bareboat sailing, at least in the United States. Now, I'm... Here's my basic problem with the American Sailing Association. And I'm sort of at a dilemma on what I want to do on this. I looked at becoming an ASA certified instructor, and the intent that I had was, well, when I take people sailing, I can run them through a course and teach them how to sail, and then sign off on their abilities. Well, it turns out that's not the case. The ASA, the American Sailing Association, basically wants to be a top-down organization. In other words, they want to establish standards, which they don't have the right to establish standards. They're not, they're not Coast Guard certified or anything like that. They're just an organization that tries to purport to set standards for sailors, and, and they've done an okay job. But what they want to do is they want to basically license schools to teach the ASA courses and as an instructor, you have to work for a school. Now, I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to work for a school. What's the point of that? I mean, the school does not teach the student. The instructor teaches the student. So I looked at becoming a certified instructor for the ASA until I called up and I said, listen, when I become a certified instructor, can I take people sailing with me on my boat and then teach them to sail and go through the routines and sign off on their abilities. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. You have to be associated with a school, and you have to be an employee of the school. And that really defeats what I want to do. And it's not just me. I talked to Andy Shell about this, and he feels exactly the same way. And I think it's basically sort of a scam, a top-down type of scam. Not really a scam. I shouldn't say that. It's not really a scam, but it's it's centralized power, and if there's anything I am against, I am against centralized power. I don't like big government. I don't like centralized power, and knowledge is not something that can be monopolized. It's something that is shared with others. I've debated, and if anybody has any thoughts about this, 
Yeah, I'd like to get your input, but I've debated on setting up an organization simply for instructors to teach students. And it would be somewhat um, standardized. It, it would need to be a standardized course that every instructor would agree that their students would learn certain techniques, certain terminologies, certain maneuvers. But it would be certified by the instructor. Now, the instructors would need to be qualified. And my thoughts were instructors that are already ASA instructors would be automatically qualified, as would uh, individuals that have the Coast Guard six-pack license, the uninspected passenger vessel license, or anybody that qualifies and has passed the Coast Guard master's examination. To actually become an instructor for the ASA, there's very, there's really very little requirements. And so I would actually extend it out to include anybody that's actually passed a true examination, which shows you've been on the water enough and you have the experience on the water, which is the Coast Guard examinations. Those people, once they demonstrated that they were able to teach, just knowing the knowledge and teaching it are two different things. So there would have to be some sort of a Oh, either an online course or an on-the-water course of actually learning teaching techniques that they would want to do. But I would, I've been thinking of setting up uh, an independent sailing instructor organization uh, and being able to certify students that we take sailing with us without having to go through a school. Now, the problem with this is, first of all, getting to a... Um, a size that has enough strength to be able to get the charter companies to recognize the certifications. So there has to be enough people interested in this, enough people behind this to make it work. And it's something I'm exploring right now. Uh, I really haven't gone beyond the exploration stage. Uh, but if there's other people out there that have comments, thoughts, might want to work with me on this, get a hold of me. Franz1, F-R-A-N-Z-1, the number one, at medsailor.com, or use the contact form at the website. Just some thoughts. Let me know what you think. And if you like this podcast, do me a favor and go into the podcast directory and write a review. I really appreciate those that take the time to do that. And with those thoughts out of the way, let's get on to my interview with Tom Morley. Tom uh, is a listener and a sailor and had some suggestions for doing a podcast interview sort of going back and forth a little bit tom where are you located i am in nina wisconsin which is pretty close to green bay packer land as we say so northeast wisconsin and um it's fall here we uh, i i should say the election was last night so How's the how do the markets look today? Ah, Let me well, ask a little professional. It was up about it, the, the the prediction was for it to to sell off, but it's up over a hundred points. It's up, been up almost two hundred points today. So so much for that. Just, just as crazy as the election, wasn't it? <laughs> That's right. So. That's right. Now you uh, you know my son-in-law lives lived in Eau Claire. He's still there right now. Oh. He's moving back to Utah, and yeah. so I went out to uh, I've been to Wisconsin a couple times, and. Uh, yeah, cold winters you have up there. Well, I grew up in Wisconsin and moved to St. Louis and met my wife down there. And there wasn't any any really water down there. I kind of gave I had to give up sailing. And then we were coming up in the winter to go cross country skiing, and we were coming up in the summer to go boating. And so, when our kids were little, she had grown up in St. Louis. We were ready for an adventure, so we're back up north. And we dress for it. You got to get outside, and uh, in the winter times and um, but anyways, it's what it's it's what what we like. So, a lot of hunting in Wisconsin. My son-in-law took up archery hunting this year and was able to get a get a a whitetail. There are, you go. Are you a hunter as well? No, I'm not. My my dad took it up late in life, and I've inherited his deer rifle and his shotgun for pheasant hunting. But uh, it's probably my time to take it up as well. So I didn't grow up hunting. Certainly, like I did sailing. But yes, uh, between uh, Michigan. Upper Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, we have you know more deer than anywhere, I think. So, so you went on a charter boat trip to the uh, to the Kiklatis, and 
tell us a little bit about that trip and what your experience was. I've got your route. Uh, you've got a YouTube video. I'll put a link to that YouTube video in the, in the show notes to this. And uh, so I'm looking at the route. It looks to me like you start over on the mainland in Greece in, in Lavrion. Is that right? Yep. Yep, we started and we go clockwise. Now, before we, before we start, though, I, I have to say you deserve some great compliments on kind of who you are because I know of people who build boats and I know people who sell boats, sail boats, and only very, very rarely do I find somebody who has successfully done both. And so I want to tip my hat to you that you you made that that jump and you know you're you're kind of you know hard and you're also a hardcore cruiser and so um you know my wife tends to like this perpetual hair dryer thing and you you know you're the kind of guy that anchors out and I can tell you cook out and you like to be away from crowds and so um I think that puts you way over on one side of the scale. I don't know which one, but uh, <laughs> I really got to compliment you. You know, you, you do it well, and uh, and I have some good friends who are hardcore. And like I said, my wife, you know, she likes to go out to eat and take a shower and dry her hair and do some shopping when we go cruising. So we're not we're not up to your caliber, but, but you, you but, know, I think I think that's the hardest part for a lot of women to to accept this sort of a, this sort of a lifestyle, I guess to say. It's, uh, it was always my dream, and my wife supported me in my dream. And her dream was our summer home, the cabin, the summer home. And I didn't have any problem with that one either. So, mm-hmm. so uh, she, she knew that it was, if you didn't like to camp out, you weren't going to enjoy the type of sailing I do on my boat. But, uh, you know, it's an adjustment. It's a, it's yeah. a, you know, it's, so she likes to go to the hair. She likes a hairdryer, too, but she's willing to, <laughs> put, to put up with uh, anchoring out. And uh, yeah. that's fine. And in, in Greece, I mean, you, you found out what it's like in Greece. There's not a lot of marinas where you go to. You might find um, some shower facilities, but quite often not a lot. And, you know, we've always found that, when we do find shower facilities, we take advantage of those facilities, but they're few and far between in Greece. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You, have you sailed on Lake Michigan much? So I, I grew up sailing Lake Michigan. My parents had a 32-foot boat, uh, and I, you know, started out in sailing school at age seven, and 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 did exactly that. I was a sailing instructor in college, and and we cruised uh, across Lake Michigan a lot. And I know you've sailed, you know, the Mackinac race, and 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 the the Michigan shore of Lake Michigan uh, is is very pretty. It's sandy. There's a lot of little harbor towns and tourist places, and so so I grew up there. And interesting, when I was about 20, we my my father chartered a boat in the Caribbean, and he was he did not grow up sailing. He and my mother uh, took it up like in their 30s, and uh, which is remarkable because for me it's just you know my lifestyle. But they, uh, I always, I always tell people that, and I volunteer, you know, as a sailing instructor too. I always tell people that you know there are a lot of people take it up, so I always want to encourage it. But they, um, they chartered a boat in the British Virgin, or actually in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and he was nervous and got a captain and crew. And even though you know we had sailed all over, but you know he didn't know about reefs and Lake Michigan doesn't have reefs, and and um, but we did that for a week. And it was a actually retired military guy and his wife who who chartered the boat with us. And it was only 35 feet, and so there's six of us. Actually, there's seven of us because their 15 year old was home from boarding school over Christmas when we went. And so we were crowded, but we're used to it. And uh, but I always remember that experience, saying, "Oh, I could do this. I don't even need a captain and a crew." You know, that was at age 20. And so it was really nice that uh, when this opportunity took up, you know, my oldest son was graduating from the university he had a good job going and my wife says this will be our last chance for a family vacation and i wanted to give my kids the same experience to say oh yeah look what we did we just went somewhere and chartered a boat and someday i can do that too so i um i felt fortunate that i got that experience and was able to pass that on but well but and, and that's what we do we, we hope to pass it on i had uh, i had tw- i have twin daughters who are adults now, and and their best memories come from you know, being on the boat, sailing on the boat, and yeah. they they plan on passing that on to their children as well, and we'll see how it goes. You know, they 
they they they missed being on the boat every summer because when they were growing up, they were on the boat every summer, and that's where they learned to uh, to really love to read because they got away from ah. the distractions of. Uh, especially yeah. in the teenage years of yeah. uh, the uh, <laughs> hyperactive social life of a teenager. And they learn to sit down and, and of course they're twins. So they're very close to each other. And they just lay in the yeah. dinghy and read all afternoon and get sunbathe <laughs> and read all afternoon. And they learn to love to read just by getting them away from the distractions. And I think Neil and I, when we were sailing in, in Sweden, the Swedish archipelago, I, we talk about, we came across this, uh, this, these two women and their children, and they go and detox every year. They get them away from, from all their uh, internet connections and go out on this island and and, and have stove, uh, you know, one pumps uh, one water pump on the island, and they get everything. So they detox for that reason. I think it, I think that would be good for everybody to do that once yeah. in a while. So. Yeah, good good for good for parents. We recognize how good it is, but it's almost punishment for teenagers, of course. But yeah. <laughs> That's the way it goes. So, yeah. but yeah, I grew up in Lake Michigan. Um, I charted a couple times in the Caribbean, and then um, my parents have uh, charted a couple times in the in the Mediterranean. They have a, actually a friend with a forty footer, and so they spent a week in Paris on the boat. If you can imagine that, they were wintering in Paris, and then they spent a couple of weeks on the south of Italy, and then they sailed in Greece also, and so. When when my wife says, "Well, we're we're thinking about you know our last vacation," um, and I've been to the Caribbean, and I'm thinking, "Well, I'm going to go to something different than just the the BVI," and my dad says, "Well, Caribbean will be awesome, but nothing compares to Greece," and and he was right, and I encouraged it. But but you've been even more experienced, and so that's one of my questions. And and the first is, how do you pronounce the islands that I went to? Because I kept calling them the wrong thing. Okay, if I'm looking at this, you first went to Kia. Well, the, is it the? I want to call it the Kiklathes, but or the oh, Cyclades. You know, or... I, I've I've I was corrected on this. I always wanted to ca- say the Cyclades because that's how yeah. I would pronounce it. But when I was over there a long time ago, I was it was pointed out it was the Kiklades, and uh, that's the way I've been pronouncing it ever Jeez. since. Now I don't know if that's correct or not, but that's what I was Kiklatis. told. Kiklades. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So. So, yeah, so we had a one-week vacation, and so really this is where I want to pick your brain because I feel I'm an experienced sailor, but it was a, I'm a rookie to go to the, the Mediterranean. And, and so my parents had sailed from um, the north of Greece. I think they started in, in, in Skopelos and ended up in Santorini and did kind of the outside of the Kikladis. But we had just one week. We went to Athens and spent a couple days there. Then we got on the boat had one week, got off, and spent some more time doing that. But that was kind of our thing. And and the first question was, when you know finding something in the Caribbean, I didn't, I wasn't worried about it at all. But I didn't know how to find any place in in Greece. And so there are like different zones of Greece. So my question as a beginner, where this is not the the I, I think I've heard you say this is not where you would recommend to go the first time. Where where would you recommend to go in Greece the first time? Oh, the other side, the Ionian Islands, on the other side of uh, the the Gulf of well, on the other side of the Gulf of Corinth and the Ionian side, yeah. on the western side of Greece. And the reason is, it's the weather patterns. You did the typical charter, and you're very close to my first charter in Greece. In fact, that you da- got hmm. down to Milos, uh, and then back up. And going mm-hmm. down in the uh, in the Aegean is always easy because the prevailing winds in the summer are from the north, northeast, or northwest, but it can build up to be very, very, very strong winds from the north, northeast, or northwest. So you can always go south, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's, in, yeah. it's virtually impossible to go north again. And, and we had terrible weather reports. Like we could not find a weather report to save our life. And the one we got said the winds were blowing out of the west, and southwest, and so our original plan was to go to Mykonos, only because I heard that's like the hot spot, and you know I got young people, I thought they would enjoy that. But with a weather forecast out of the west at 30 miles an hour, I said, forget it, we're going south in case we have a that way we'll have a beam reach back. And uh, but as it turned out, we had several days with no wind at all, and we were in we were in the second week in June, and so um, so. But the Ionian is that as far north as as Corfu, or is that south of yeah, it, it uh, goes basically from Cor- Corfu all the way down to uh, 
Well, no, no. The Ionian goes all the way from Corfu all the way down to uh, Kefalonia, and then there's another island just oh. below oh, that. Oh, yeah. That, uh, Zakynthos. Zakynthos. Zakynthos is how I pronounce it, but I don't know that's, if that's correct. Okay. Yeah. And so that was, that's what I consider the Ionians. And the reason I always say the Ionians, and primarily below um, um, Lefkus, uh, that area between around Lefkus, mm-hmm. Ithaca, Kefalonia, that's really sheltered waters. You don't really get any, you don't get much of, no uh, of a sea, no, yeah. not much fetch. And the weather patterns are, are very predictable. Uh, and, and you only get really strong winds if there's a, a, if there's a front coming through. Now on the Cyclades, on that side, it can be crystal clear blue skies with no weather fronts coming through. But you will have uh, the Meltimis, the storm winds. And the Meltimis right. are, uh, if, if you look at some global weather charts by season, and you'll see in the summer there's a, there's a big global high that's over the Azores, and there's a big global war that's low that's over the uh, pa- Pakistan. And you can see these circling around, and, and they basically meet in the Aegean. And so that's you know that that circular motion of the low and the high meeting creates go. the uh, the Meltimis. Now get over to the Adriatic. You're out of the out of where they meet typically, and so that's why in the summer the weather the you know prevailing winds are from north to south. So when when somebody starts out in the north and goes south, that's a great run. If you can do a one way run from north to south, that's do yeah. that do that anytime <laughs> you can. But usually you have to bring your boat back at some point. <laughs> exactly. Time, so. Exactly. Unfortunately it's yeah. So that was good. Well well the other thing then and again, I'm not sure you're listening there aren't many uh, you know, you have you have such experienced people on on your podcast but I will say, if anybody hasn't gone to Greece and you've never done that and you're intimidated, definitely go. And so, you know, I had I had not the greatest cruise of my life, but it was the, obviously the greatest cruising vacation of my life. So, so I definitely want to not discourage anybody from anything. But um, so I, I um, and that's why I enjoy listening to all the different parts of the Med that you go to. So, um, so that's good. But. But we did have um, – now, the other interesting thing for – if you are a rookie, uh, like I was, uh, we ended up going to the Chicago Strictly Sail Boat Show in February and went to a booth with the Moorings. And they're, of course, kind of the, the, the diamond charter company, but you pay the most for them. Ended up with an outfit called Late Sail. And their specialty is really finding um, – boats on the cheap if you're flexible and that really didn't suit us but they're a they're british company but they have an office in boston so we chartered the boat through them and used u.s dollars with our u.s credit card in boston address and so that made me feel comfortable rather than sending my credit card over the internet to somebody so, so the so the name of that company was late sale l-a-t-e sale yes yeah and uh, great people. Um, the only thing that was a little bit odd was we weren't advised about needing your U.S. Um, sailing level four to charter a boat or something like that until the last minute. And fortunately, I'm um, a U.S. sailing instructor. And they said, oh, that's fine. <laughs> and I'm like a small boat sailing instructor level one. And as long as I had a little ID card with something that looked official, the cruising company took it just without batting an eye. So that was kind of interesting. But I'm not sure if that's true or not going forward. Well, they're in the business uh, of chartering boats, so they want to get boats out there <laughs> on charter. And I've yeah. always been amazed at the uh, – uh, I always said if you could fog a mirror, you could charter a boat. It's getting a little more difficult than that now, but I've seen some pretty poor sailors out on charter boats. <laughs> but well, uh, probably true but when i when i chartered this is long before i had my own boat my wife and i and my parents chartered in greece and we started in athens in kalamata harbor and Mm -hmm. i had passed this the six pack at that point in time so i was a licensed coast guard uh, certification so they tried to force me to take somebody out with me and they were going to until i showed them that license and then they said, okay, well, we'll let you take it out by yourself. But they, they do really try to, well, they want to employ the locals yeah. if they can. So that's, well, that's I, their advantage. So. 
I didn't think of that. I have a I have a very good friend who is a Beneteau 38, and they decided to charter up in Croatia next summer, and and I pointed him towards your podcast exactly that. But he didn't have a certification, and they wouldn't they wouldn't you know you could send him 20 years of pictures of him on his boat, and so he had to go get um, arrange for a custom. You know, he didn't plan ahead. All of a sudden, he realized he was out seven hundred dollars to get an instructor in to to give him an accelerated weekend course on it. And uh, and and I almost went along with it. I couldn't make my weekend work because I figured, well, sooner or later, I might as well get it done so I don't have a hassle the next time. But um, yeah. So, anyways, we uh, different rules for different different areas. But I had something that gave me a charter, and uh, so we ended up with a. Uh, out of a group called Navigare, N-A-V-I-G-A-R-R-E, is who rented us the boat out of Mavrio. And, um, and, and uh, it was a Genoa 43, and it was, it was great. So, and How many people did you have on the boat? Uh, five. So my wife and I've got uh, three, three kids, boy, girl, boy. And so, so we're, all, we're all sailors. Uh, my uh, oldest son, uh, I said, was graduating from college and they were all sailing instructors and they all got us certified so we got lots of sailing in fact it was a hard time peeling the the wheel away from my oldest son he was just like latched on that was kind of his gig and and he's the hardest core of the three sailors anyways was on the university of wisconsin sailing team and this and that so man he thought this was just just heaven so so but we had a we had a great time and uh and so we, uh, so as I said, we, we kind of did this one week circle, um, and and we uh, I, had to, I had to get my old notes out. Now it took us most of the day to figure out how to get down to Lavrio from the Athens airport because of course we had five people. We were smart enough not to bring a lot of stuff because we we know how to do that, of course. Um, but we uh, by the time we got the boat, the boat was ready and we got it checked out. Again, the boat gets turned in Saturday morning. You, you can sleep on the boat Friday night. So someone's getting off the boat Friday night. They're turning the boat around. We left the dock at 5.30 Saturday night and scurried over um, to Kia the first night and, um, and showed up there. And so it was, we arrived there before, before dark, which was good. And that was a delightful little town. Uh, we didn't have a lot of time to explore it. But, but we showed up Saturday night. Um, the, the wall was full, so we anchored out. And then the discos are blaring right off the wall. And um, at 11 o'clock, the music goes down, and we went to bed just fine. So, so, um, so that was kind of a nice little quick afternoon, evening, evening sail to get to our first destination. Did you, uh, did you rent scooters and go up to the Cora on, on Kia? No, we didn't. We, uh, we, were, we were really set on, on getting out and getting to our next island. So what's on – there's a uh, – uh, Cora up there? That's a that's a defunct volcano, right? No, no. Cora is uh, every ta- every island has a Cora, and it's basically the towns that are up high in the island. Oh, sure. I've always enjoyed getting up there, getting away from the waterfront, and getting up to the the town, the towns, the upper towns, and that's where they, uh, that's where the village really lived, right? Because uh, all the pirates and uh, <laughs> took place yep. at, uh, on the on the coast, so. That's a nice place, and I'll tell you a quick story on that. One time I rented a scooter, and I rode up way up on the hill, and um, I don't know if I had somebody on the back of my scooter or not. I don't think I did. But anyway, I got a flat tire, but I'm, at least I'm way up on the hill, and I'm thinking, well, what do I do with a flat tire? So I, mm. so I just coasted downhill, coasted downhill, came up on like the one gas station in town and <laughs> pulled in there. One bumper. And I, yeah, and I pulled in there, and I said, flat tire. The guy says, oh, okay. So he fixes a flat tire, calls up the charter company, tells me to go on my way. Didn't charge me. Didn't charge me. Oh. Yeah. I was expecting, well, I'm going to have to buy a new tire because I've ridden down the hill on the rim. But they just put it in there. But that's always fun to do. I always like to rent little scooters and get up there. And, uh, of course, I, it's getting harder to rent scooters in Greece because they want you to have a motorcycle license. Since they joined the EU, now they have insurance companies imposing standards so Kia is a good stop. I've stopped there several times, and also if you rent a scooter, you can get up to some of the monasteries that are on the north side of the island, quite high. And probably when you went around the north side of Kia, you looked up on the hill and saw those monasteries. Yep. Yeah, that's the. Yeah, I mean, just the scenery is just so different from the Great Lakes, and uh, and and it was just you know, 
just just it's so exciting to be you know in Greece for the first time and enjoying the blue water and the the, the marvel of the, the new experience. So so that was that was good. Um, so the, so the next day, uh, you know, again we start out. There's no wind. About an hour later, it's blowing 15 on a, on the beam. We we sailed almost due west to Syros. By the time we got to Syros, the wind had died. We were back under power, and that was my first experience doing the med, the infamous med mooring. And so I got a couple of questions for you on this one because now, now I had brought my friend's uh, uh, 38-foot boat and practiced before we got there, which I'm glad we did. But this this was uh, the first. This was the first time, and I'm I, fortunately there were only like three boats in this long quay, so I had lots of room to to make a mistake. But um, we ended up, you know, we ended up dropping the anchor about right. Um, but it was it's funny because again we we you know put it in reverse, and my oldest son's up on the on the bow with the windlass, and. My daughter is watching the depth finder and my wife's got the dinghy on the side and my son's in the stern with, you know, to throw the line. And, and we made it in just fine. I was so proud of myself. And, and, uh, and you do this single-handedly, don't you? Yeah, I've, I've got, <laughs> I do, I do it a lot single-handedly, but almost I got five people, five people with everyone's got an assignment and then I'm listening to your podcast going, dang. Yeah. And, and it's hard, but you can do it. And the key, now I'm looking at uh, Cyrus and the Harbor of Cyrus and I'm trying to figure out where you, uh, you uh, backed in. Is that okay? I see a lot of boats backed in on the northwest corner of the big harbor. Is that where you ended up going? That's ex- yep. That's exactly where it was. Yep. And that's a really, really rolly anchorage because of all the ferries that come in and out of there. Yeah, it was a little bit, um, um, a little bit bouncy, but, um, but again, you know, it had. Had had the had electrical hookup, so we had the hairdryer working, and uh, and 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 then of course, uh, well, the other interesting thing was, and I don't know if it's changing a little bit, but we were told that nobody takes credit cards in the islands, and in general, that was true. And so before we left the airport, my wife and I um, just loaded up on cash because we were going to these little islands. But of course, if you don't take credit cards, every place has got an ATM. So that was we were way over concerned about that because we could have always gotten cash. Yeah, I found but, um, it, yeah I found pretty much anywhere I've traveled in the world has ATM machines, and and I have found some cards work better than others. I was in Vietnam last year, and I carry about four debit cards from different banks. I actually have a debit card in Australia, debit card in Canada and about three in the United States. And I had to go through pretty much all of my debit cards. And I think it was finally the one in, uh, in Australia that worked, that my, my bank account in Australia worked. So, so don't plan on every debit card working on these ATMs. Have, have backups in case. Uh, I've never had that problem in Greece, but I did have that problem. I've had to use different debit cards, both in, uh, well, in Vietnam, in Thailand, and also in Turkey. So have a have a deck of, <laughs> of debit cards. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, and now a lot of them are going to the chip only, and a lot of the U.S. banks have not put chips in debit cards yet. So you, if your if your bank does have uh, the option, I need actually. It reminds me, I need to call up my uh, my bank because they <laughs> do offer bank. it if I if I ask for it, but uh, but they're going to chips. So. Just a heads up, get a chip debit card if you can. So, but yeah, yeah, in the, all the little islands in Greece, the, the shopkeepers don't want to take credit cards because they don't want to report their revenue. Right. And so yeah. they say, okay, you want to buy it? Um, you know, if you want to use a credit yeah. card, it's going to be 30% more. But if you want to go get some cash, I'll give you a 30% discount sort of thing. So, yeah, I was, I was surprised that, and, and at the time, the, the Greek economy was in the news a lot, but it was clearly, um, clearly the, uh, the country was not nearly as poor as the government was because everybody was spending cash on anything. So, <laughs> but let's talk about Medmore in a second and, and the techniques I use in Medmore. Now, the first time I chartered a boat in, uh, in Greece, we went down to Agina was our first stop just South of, uh, of Athens. And I was, white knuckling it just like you were and and this was my first experience with mid mooring 
In fact, I was so terrified. The wind was really blowing hard, and all these boats were backed up mid moored and I just said, well, I'm not going to deal with it. So I dropped an anchor in a place you weren't supposed to drop an anchor, just waiting mm -hmm. for the wind to die down. And it did die down, and once it died down, I went ahead and, and backed in. But, you know, it was pretty pretty terrifying to me the first time. And that was on a, a Juno as well, as you know as well, which actually backs up really, really easily. Uh, you oh, can, yeah. You can steer those in reverse like a sports car almost because you've got the uh, the keel. It's, a, it's almost a pivot. You can almost pivot right on the keel be between that and the rudder. So once I learned that they, you really could steer those boats in reverse, uh, I've you know, practiced and practiced and practiced, and still it's it's never... It's never easy, but when I'm doing it by myself, the way I do it is uh, I will, and this is critical for how I sail. It's critical for me to be able to control the anchor, the windlass from the cockpit, because on a lot of charter boats, you've got to have somebody up there stepping or lowering down the, uh, the anchor from the bow, and mm -hmm. if you have to do that, there's no way you can med more by yourself, so I have, an, I have a plug in for my windlass down below in the cabin and a long uh, a long cord a long electrical cord and the control box on the end of that electrical cord so i can take that control box and put it up through the hatch and either walk all the way to the bow with the control box or walk all the way to the cockpit with the control box so so once i have the anchor ready to go i will uh, uh, pick my position <coughs> and I, I always try to back either well directly into the wind. That's my preferred method, uh, backing into the wind, because uh, it doesn't, going sideways, I've never had much luck when I have a, a beam wind, a wind on the beam. That, that's really, really hard to back my boat. But as long as I'm going into the wind or with the wind, either one, I prefer into the wind because it's slower backing in. I'll start backing in. Before I even start backing up, I'll drop enough uh, road so that the anchor uh, hit, it hits the bottom of, of the uh, the seabed <coughs> and then let some more out and then slowly start backing up. And I do this slowly, very slowly, start, mm -hmm. start going backwards and letting road out, chain out as I'm backing in. And every now and then, of course, I have a full keel boat. It'll start to go one direction or the other direction. And if I start going the wrong direction, I just stop. I stop letting out anchor chain and keep the boat in reverse, and it'll eventually tug in and straighten mm. out the bow of the boat, and then I'll start letting more road out and continue backing in. And I usually have to stop two or three times backing in, backing in, backing in, backing in. And I'm going in really slowly, and I have my fenders over, and usually people, when they see me coming in, they look at my chain plates and they say, oh, we better get up there and protect our boats <laughs> because I can do a lot of damage to top size with my, with my chain plates. And uh, they'll usually be fending me off from them as I'm pulling in. And once I get to the, uh, to the key, to the, to the wall, I will stop the windlass and actually usually pull in a little bit and keep the boat in reverse. So my, my engine is going in mm. reverse, so it's keeping me close to the wall. And, in fact, I may let out a little more road so I can step off the boat and take a line with me and tie it around. And, and that's the key. You just, you just number one, going in slowly. Uh, and number two, once you get to the end, tighten up on the, on the anchor line, the bow line, and give yourself enough line to be close enough to step off yep. the boat and get around. But, but that's pull up all some tension against it. Mm -hmm. Well, the, yeah, the other, the other interesting thing was I've never had chain on my anchor because, again, in Lake Michigan, mm -hmm. we just use anchor line. And so the, the windlass was kind of a new experience for me. Um, and, and then the, the first time, of course, I, I, I was very nervous and 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 my my I'm shouting the depth to my son and he's letting out the anchor and I'm you know shouting around all over and I we got all done and we turned out the engine and I'm all proud of myself and then my my son who's 22 he comes back and starts yelling at me <laughs> and he goes first of all there's a windlass with chain I can't hear a dang word you say you know and he used a little more colorful language and we realized oh that windlass is kachunk kachunk kachunking up there and so we had to put someone else close to relay it which we should have known 
And he goes, second of all, once I let the anchor out, what are you yelling me the death for? Is you're backing in? I don't care. I'm just letting the anchor out. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. So he had about three complaints on the old man right away. And, um, but, you know, I got to tip my hat. You know, you've got a full keel, right? So I'll bet you that thing is. Oh, it, it, it's, always a, it, it's always an adventure. You know, I always tell people I, I've never gotten so I can predict which way the boat's going to go. It's always an adventure. Well, well, you, know, you must do okay. And, and, of course, the other thing that was just a joy is I had a bow thruster. And holy smokes, was that like the lap of luxury. And uh, I got, got back to Wisconsin, and I told the Yacht Club, Okay, you guys got to get bow thrusters in all your boats, you know. So, you know, of course, we're all driving 20, 22 footers and twenty five footers, but it was fun. So that was that was a treat, which uh, I employed later. But um, but anyways, but yeah, like I said, when I started listening to your podcast, I'm like, man. But you know, you got good practice, so that's good. So 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 um, that was that was great. Ciros was nice. We did we spent the whole day walking around, and I think that was the. I think there's two hills and there's a Greek Orthodox church on the top of one hill and a Roman Catholic church on the other. And it was supposed to be uh, kind of a cosmopolitan because they had two religious cultures that kind of melted in the island, which is kind of remarkable for that. So we did a bunch of sightseeing. The other thing that happened that was a problem was the um, AC outlet is above the chart table, of course, and we could plug our laptop and our, our, phone chargers into it but we needed a european adapter of course to go from the english from the american to the european plug and it was tucked away in a corner and of course the hair dryer's got a big plug on the end of it as well and the hair dryer plug wouldn't fit into the european adapter plug and into the chart plug and so there was my first crisis there's no hair dryer and uh, so we ended up buying a 10-foot extension cord so we could get the outlet out of the plug, 10-foot European extension cord. So and that was the hair dryer, so. a 220 volt, or did you burn it out? Um, no, no, I take that back. You're right. The hair dryer did go 220 or 110, but it wouldn't it wouldn't fit back in that little corner, and and we needed the adapter to go from three prongs to two prongs or whatever. So, you know, it, it's all about that hair dryer in my life. So. Um, but we had a great, we had a great, um, great day there. And the next day we were up in Adam and this is kind of our, so again, the plan was to go to Mykonos and then the little Island next to it, which has got all the, uh, which is looks like the national park. Is it Delos? Is is that the name of it? Uh, Yeah. I know which one you're talking about, which you can't really, you can't. You can't sail there. Well, you can yeah. sail but there. You can't anchor there. Yeah, yeah you can anchor there, which was, oh, really? yeah. I mean, I oh. I didn't think you could either until I was taking my boat from Paris back up to Mykonos, and I went right by there, and there are all these boats anchored. So there's oh. people do I thought anchor. you had to have a ferry from Mykonos to get there well, illegally. And, and that's how I but. did it. I went and visited the ruins in a ferry, but when I sailed from Paris up to Mykonos one time, I decided to go right through that narrow area through there and there are a lot of boats anchored there now you can't get off your boat and go ashore without going through the uh through the the turnstiles of the park because that's a national park and you need to pay your way to get in but you can't anchor there so yeah yeah save yourself a ferry ride and have your boat handy so that that would be nice oh good well we like i said we were going to do that and then the forecast is for westerlies and i then i got scared now the other thing about and my my parents were stuck three or four days, I think, when the Meltemy hit them on their cruise. And, you know, we didn't have the luxury with that in, um, and, uh, in our vacation. But I will say, um, you know, in Lake Michigan, there's some small islands that are, you know, three feet out of the water and things like that. But the, this part of Greece was all deep water, and the islands go straight down. And so I, my, my bailout plan was if the weather went bad was to power at night back to Lavrio if we got trouble, you know, getting our, uh, getting the boat back to the home base. And, you know, I wouldn't have had any, any concerns going at night and, you know, navigation wise or anything like that between the, between the onboard navigation and uh, the deep water that was just about everywhere. So. That's probably something you never had to worry about. Yeah, there's not a lot of hazards to navigation. There's a few, but they're well marked on the chart. And as long as you're paying attention, it'd be hard to really do much damage unless you just fall asleep and run ashore. So, <laughs> No, yeah, that would be. Yeah, the only problem we had one time we came around an island. And, and again, you know, I'm looking for something on the horizon. 
I came around one corner and I'm looking for something on the horizon and I can't find it and I can't find it. And I'm looking and I got everybody looking. And then of course my son looks at the navigation and he goes, well, it's that mountain. That's the Island. And you know, the mountain, the Island was the size of Manhattan. And of course I'm looking for something 10 feet out of the water and, cause that's just what we're used to. And, and, uh, Oh, well, how are you going to run into that one? That's huge. So it was just kind of, uh, just kind of those beginner kind of things. So, but it worked out well. Um, so we, 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 the next day we went down to Sifos, Sifros, Sifnos. I think we went down to Sifnos and then from, okay. and then on the way back we caught Seraphos. Okay. Sifnos, we took the, we took the bus up to the, the town at the top of the hill and, um, and we enjoyed that, but you know, I have no pictures of that island, so I don't think it was that. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it was uh, Sifnos, S-I-F-N-O-S, to the west of Peros. Peros. Now, have you been to Peros? Because there was a lot of nice things that we, that yeah, we saw in the, Peros, in the books on that. Peros is one of my favorite islands, so I don't tell people about it. <laughs> You're a hoarder. <laughs> I'm hoarding Greece. <laughs> That's cute. Um, yeah, you're right. So, that that is uh, Sifnos is the next island you went to. Yeah. So when we were at Sifnos, I ran into uh, some other Americans, and they were considering running down to Santorini, and then running all the way. They had a week also, and I, you know, I hate to give people advice when you're a beginner, but I said, oh, that's too many miles to get down there, and and then you're not a fan of San. I mean, Santorini, right? Oh, I think it's uh, it's absolutely spectacular until all the cruise ships show up. So, I mean, it's uh, it's because I'm a snob. I don't like crowds, and, and you know, I mean, the, the view yeah. from the from the rim down into the caldera is is absolutely spectacular uh, for about fifteen twenty minutes, and then, um, but it's just I mean, everybody in the world wants to go to uh, Santorini and, and right and so for that reason everybody in the world is at Santorini so I don't yeah. really like it that much yeah. well and, and it's on the cover of every Greek brochure so you got to mm-hmm. tip your hat to you know like you said a spectacular view so uh but the the truth is um just being in Greece was just such a different experience than the Caribbean or the like Great Lakes or anything um you know, and I was reading. My dad keeps a kept a journal when he did his trip, and and uh, he said, you know, if we had we were told that that the first place we went to was the worst place at all, we got there and we said, oh, if we had to go home right now, it'd be a great trip. So it was it's it was just a great experience. But but like I said, we didn't have much to do on Sifnos. We took the bus around, um, um, had some food, but I didn't take any pictures there. So I think that probably is a pretty good indication that there wasn't anything that really caught my eye spectacularly. Uh, but the next, they don't have much of a harbor, and there are some ferries and um, into... Uh... Oh, yeah. Okay, I've been there. And you're right. There's not much there. There's not much to get too excited about. I've gone into that harbor. That's uh, It's a big, big open bay, and there's really not much on shore. Really, it's not much to go see Correct. there. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So the, uh, the next day, though, we had a great sail... Uh, I think it started out light. We ended up blasting into Milos, and Milos was definitely uh, a place we loved. Uh, it's a beautiful harbor, of course, or Milos, I should say. Is that correct? I, I say Milos, but Milos. Probably. Yeah, Milos, it's Venus. Yeah, potato. The potato. statue in the Louvre, the Venus de Milo, right there, mm-hmm. but I think it's pronounced Milos. Yeah. Yeah, but so, actually, the, the marble fort came from uh, from Paros for the Venus mm-hmm. de Milo. The actual marble no. marble came from Paros. Yeah. I thought that's how it got its name is because the, the well, marble I think, came from well, that, Milos. No, the the marble came from Peros, but the statue was found on Milos. So it's the oh. Venus de Milo. Yeah. Oh, how about that? Yeah. So the now the interesting thing, especially for a beginner that I learned, when we got to Milos, the wind was blasting out of the – across the bay. So it was coming from the south to the, to the harbor, and it was blowing 25. I mean, it was blowing – and so I, we, we um, you know, it's funny, we, we come around the corner and it's, it's blowing 25 on the nose. And so, you know, I start to turn the engine on and my oldest son says, what are you doing that for? You know, we got nothing to do but sail today. And so we tacked all the way up the harbor and came around because uh, he's, he's going to be like you someday. 
And fortunately, when we got to the harbor, I saw another boat coming in uh, ahead of me to Medmore. And so there's a there, there's a long quay that runs east-west. The wind was out of the south. And and when I saw him coming in, I watched him. And, and before he gets around into the tightness, he's going in reverse. And again, these boats with a bow thruster are just a dream. So, you know, the wind is catching your bow and throwing it all around. But as long as you're moving, and so, you know, in, in reverse, going four or five miles an hour, that's pretty fast and out of control. But with the wind coming, it gave you perfect control. And that bow thruster, you could just move that around and swing it. It was, it was just, and it, it still took me four ties to get the, to get the anchor right. Um, you know, the first time I, I had the anchor in the wrong position. And this time it was tight. There, was, there were two parking spots that were open side by side. So I, had, I didn't have to get it you know, one next to each other, but, um, so, but, but it was, that was tight for a, that considering it was my second time and considering the wind is blowing off the quarter at, you know, 20 miles an hour. And, um, so eventually we, uh, you know, the first time I didn't have enough scope out and the second time I was starting to cross somebody and went out and uncrossed them and so on and so forth. Um, but that was a, that was, uh, and then, and then we always joke because, um, there's an old guy who's, you know, like 70 years old running around the dock yelling at you in Greek. And so we nicknamed him Dimitri and every dock, there seemed to be a Dimitri running around <laughs> shouting something at you. And somewhere, somewhere, I think my dad taught me is whenever someone's at the dock shouting at you, the first thing you do is try to ignore him, just ignore him, just do what you're going to do and don't try to listen to him too much. So I don't know if that's right, but. All right, Tom, we've gone about 45 minutes oh, right now. Yeah. I'm going to stop the recorder, and, and we're, you and I are going to continue to talk, and we'll get the next episode. But I try to keep my, my podcast uh, about an hour less. So let me just sure. stop it here, and we'll come back and start there with the, uh, with the next episode. Joe, you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you, every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You made me very proud. I was just thinking where we might be 10 years from now, you know? <laughs>